The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Friday Eve, but buckle up because it was a doozy of a day. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was at the White House. We'll give you the latest as he met with President Trump. He also met with House Democrats. They're trying to get that USMCA deal over the finish line. This, as the Mexicans advance it through their government, will the U.S. do the same. We'll break all of those developments down. Plus, Iran tensions prompt lawmakers to revisit President Trump's war powers. And then there's a host of different water cooler talk making the way along social media platforms. Everything from uh, former Vice President Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Did you follow all of that with what was going on with his Ukraine deal? There was a UFO intelligence briefing. Can't make it up. Senator Mark Warner, Democrat from Virginia, Weighing in, top Democrat on Intel, weighing in on that. Uh, and then Roy Moore's back. So we've got a lot to get through. But before we get into it, let's get a check of those headlines. And then we'll get to an all-star panel. Louis Miranda, former DNC comms director, is here. And Luis Schiavone, journalist and senior lecturer at Johns Hopkins University's Carey School of Business. Let's get right to it. I was at the White House earlier, and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was there. And they're negotiating with President Trump over the U.S. MCA deal. But mind you... Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who candidly his poll approval ratings in Canada are, are, are slumping, but he's popular amongst progressives on Capitol Hill. He also was meeting with Democrats uh, up on Capitol Hill to try to get try to get votes to advance the USMCA. We've got an all-star panel here with us. Luis Schiavone journalist and senior lecturer at Johns Hopkins University Carey Business School, and Louis Miranda, former DNC communications director. All right, both of you, thank you for being here. I said your names correctly. <laughs> good job, Kevin. Thanks for having start. me. It's like one letter apart, so I'm, if I mess them up, you know I know both of you, and I appreciate you being here. Louis, I want to start with you, because are Democrats going to get on board with the USMCA? Uh, I think eventually they will, but the wow, the, rub, the rub with with any trade agreement is always make we have the right labor protections, um, and that we make sure that there's the right enforcement. Because at the end of the day, the concern and the complaint that all of those voters in states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania who uh, switched from Obama to Trump in the last election <clears throat> came down to jobs and protecting their jobs and 
if we don't make sure that a trade agreement like this uh, has the right enforcement protections, that it has the right labor protections, then we're going to end up with uh, the same kind of situation that's simply uh, not doing justice to American workers. You know, so, I was struck by – go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but I think in the end uh, that, that they'll get on board because uh, we do need uh, a, a proper and, and good trade agreement and because the Canadians and the Mexicans have now come on board and, and uh, it's passed in Mexico. It's I mean, and their, in Canada. their governments are more liberal right now than, than the U.S. government is. I mean, it's a giant waste of time, right? If the, if they don't if the if the U.S. doesn't pass this thing, giant waste of time. It's back to square one, I guess, in the new Congress. If if Trump gets reelected, it's start all over. But if it's a Democrat, back to square one. I mean, a lot well, of and it's not significantly different from NAFTA. So it was really an attempt by the Trump administration to get a victory here. But ultimately, uh, it makes sense to have a good trade agreement in place with uh, two of our largest trading partners. Luis Schiavone, my good friend, journalist, senior lecturer at Hopkins Carey Business School. I'm going to play for you what President Trump had to say earlier today at the White House with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Here's President Trump. This will be the largest trade deal ever made, and it won't even be close. If you take a look at the numbers, second is so far away, you don't even call it second. So it's very exciting, and very exciting for Mexico, very exciting for Canada. And I have to also thank the president of Mexico, because he's really been doing a job on the border. That's President Trump, and here is Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Take a listen to Trudeau. We've worked hard to great, build a, a great trade deal that's good for Canadian workers, good for American workers, good for uh, Mexican uh, workers as well. So they like it. And, and to be candid, in terms of the political ideology, Louis, you know this, Luis, you know this, they are worlds apart. So for them to be on the same page as this... It looks like it would seem like this is a no-brainer in terms of politics. Yeah, well, there are raw financial realities, right? They need this trade deal. The the, the nations on this continent need to have a, a trade deal, a working trade agreement. And uh, what people aren't saying is that the the tariff threats that President Trump has been issuing since he's are uh, there any been elected in the uh, really we- have um, – have have had an impact on the way other nations react to him. And he's in a unique of sort of being, you know, if you look at, for instance, Barack Obama as being the good cop and, and Trump as being the bad cop, he's in a unique position of sort of reveling in his bad cop sort of role in his relationship with, um, for instance, a, a young groovy guy like Trudeau. And, uh, you know, the, this has all had uh, a significant effect. Uh, Trump decided last month to lift tariffs on Canadian and Mexican steel and aluminum, and that made things uh, much, much better. And, uh, you know, a year ago when everybody was meeting in Qu- Quebec, it was really quite a different picture, right? <laughs> the, those great iconic pictures of uh, the leaders that were meeting in Quebec leaning around a table glaring at President Trump. It's, it's, it's all very different. And uh, Trump does does uh, levy us a certain amount of of financial heft with other nations. I was struck. I mean, just that Mexico was country to, to formally pass this ahead of Canada and ahead of uh, the United States. Especially when you just look at the backdrop, Lewis, in terms of the the policy rhetoric that was coming out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue against Mexico, and then. <laughs> I guess somehow, somewhere, they were able to patch it up. But in terms of the divide within the Democratic caucus, because it's going to come down to Democrats, you know this, and, and, and you, you talk to everyone on the left, do the unions want this deal? 
I, I think at the end of the day, the problem is that uh, so many um, made-in-Mexico products have made-in-America components. The economies are too intrinsically tied to not have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that... I want to say that again. The economies are too intrinsically tied to not have it, meaning that to not have it would essentially create market chaos and uncertainty. It would create market chaos and uncertainty on a lot of products that uh, labor union members depend on for their jobs. Um, uh, a lot of auto supplies, uh, a lot of um, other widgets. In- widgets and things like that that uh, are produced in Mexico are produced with American components and pieces. And so uh, there's a lot of uh, integration there that, that is just simply a reality. Uh, but at the end of the day, they do want strong labor protections because you do have situations, uh, you know, uh, certain companies and the Apscos of the, uh, of the world will like uh, pay so much less to workers there are not being honest about sort of when they move production uh, on the other side of the border. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of, 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 of issues there that need to be resolved. There's also the uh, issue of U.S.-China-Canada-China relations, right, with uh, China arresting the uh, Huawei, uh, Huawei official. And now Canada is probably feeling a lot of heat from China. And Canada and the U.S., if they meet this, uh, this pressure from China together, as opposed to having to fight it independently, that's going to give uh, Canada – you know, more strength than it would have um, facing Canada alone. So- Coming up, we're going to talk more about U.S.-China trade. We're going to dive into that excellent point uh, in terms of how Huawei is sort of the backdrop of USMCA now, in addition to what's going on with the China developments. Justin Trudeau, you know who is, like, thrilled that Justin Trudeau is here? U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer. Because Bob Lighthizer was tasked with dealing with the House Democrats. And, Lewis, i got to be candid, you know this. The Democrats don't necessarily want to be dealing with the U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer. I think they'd like to have one of their own. And quite frankly, there's, uh, I think, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau a little bit more in common with the House Democrats than, than the Trump <laughs> And yet Lighthizer was very complimentary of Nancy Pelosi and her very seriousness about dealing with the, the USMC. I think that was like the nicest thing we've heard come from the administration. Or you're referring to earlier this week when U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer testified before the Senate Finance Committee. Chuck Grassley, chairman of that committee, he was more aggressive against President Trump for the tariffs and using Section 232 than Bob Lighthizer was against Speaker Pelosi. So this is like one of those issues that for us <laughs> nerds, there's so many different shifting political alliances. Right, but trade is a huge, huge, huge issue. Yeah, geek not out. just for not just for us, but for every single country around the world. We're looking at the potential for economies around the world softening. This is that if everybody acts proactively, at least the people who are traditionally friends, we might be able to get but ahead you know of why, a recession. You know why I like this issue too is because Lewis, you hit the nail on the head. You go to parts of where I I grew up outside of Philadelphia. You go to western Pennsylvania. You go to Michigan or Wisconsin and Ohio. Candidly, these states decided the election, folks. They always do. And... You know, this matters. And that they don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat on this issue. And you guys know this. That's why Bob Lighthizer's praising Pelosi. Trudeau's praising, you know, Trump. I mean, it's the Mexicans are agreeing well, with Trump. Let's be honest. The, the, the political ideological spectrum goes in a circle. And uh, a Bernie Sanders in the White House would not mm. be that far from where Donald Trump has been on a lot of these issues, whether it's uh, taking a, a strong line against China on some of the ways that they've taken advantage of our 
our markets here, whether it's with solar panels or other products, um, and and certainly on on uh, just trade generally. So it's it's an interesting to see how the similarities there. Let me tell you something, Luis. We're just thrilled to have Lewis here because you know he works with the union, so he knows precisely how these union coalitions are really coming together and and get these the political yes the politics of it but also the policy coming up we're going to shift gears we're going to go around the world we're going to talk about china trade relations we're also going to talk developments on iran plus a host of different other water cooler talk that is well it involves ufos and i'll i'll leave it there <laughs> panel stays you can download the sound on podcast on apple itunes at bloomberg.com or by downloading the bloomberg business app you can also find us on the bloomberg terminal radio.com iHeartRadio, and spotify luis Miranda's here former dnc communications director luis schiavoni journalist and senior lecturer at john hopkins university Carey business school i'm kevin cirilli you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're navigating through a host of different political policy trade fronts today as you have... Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in Washington, D.C., dealing with President Trump, trying to get USMCA or NAFTA 2.0 over the finish line. He was also up on Capitol Hill meeting with Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, And they're trying to get a deal. They are trying to get a deal. He also met with uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. But to be blunt here, folks, it really is up to Speaker Pelosi. Then the backdrop here and how it impacts China, and that's where I want to move this conversation toward with our guests, is Huawei. Because Huawei uh, and the Canadians are, well, they're in, they're in a little bit of a tiff. With me for the hour, we've got Louis Miranda. He is former DNC communications director. Now he's got his own consulting company here in Washington, D.C. Luis Schiavoni, journalist and senior lecturer at Johns Hopkins University's Carey Business School. Luis, you mentioned this, but let's get everybody caught up to speed about why Huawei is now impacting Canada. What's the latest? Well, Canada uh, arrested a Huawei executive, and China was uh, none too pleased about that. And China is now applying a tremendous amount of trade pressure on Canada. In the meantime, Donald Trump and China's uh, President Xi Jinping are going to meet next week in Japan at the G20 summit. And that's going to be another discussion about trade. And uh, when you left the room, Kevin, Lewis and I actually continued to have a conversation. I hope that wasn't against the rules. <laughs> but we're talking about the, the how heated the economy is with the Dow setting records right. and the Federal, Federal Reserve saying that, look, you know, we're going to make sure that uh, we don't slip into a recession. We're going to be lenient on interest rates. And so, you know, we have the situation where around the world people are very concerned. Well, but this issue with trade. this issue with well, trade is, is front and center geopolitically, and this issue with China now and how it's impacting Ch- uh, Canada and p- the potential for the USMCA agreement is, is 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 really at the forefront. And President Trump actually addressed it today when he was inside of the Oval Office with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and he said, "quote Anything I can do to help Canada, I will be doing." And he said that he would personally bring up. Canada's concerns with President Xi uh, of China, President Xi Jinping of China at the G20. Remember, remember, China arrested Canadians after 
the Canadians got you know held some of these with the US uh, backing uh, the Huawei CIA Huawei. at a US Huawei. request Huawei. to be clear this was a, a US request to go after Huawei executives because they were skirting tariff rules and and committing basically wire and bank fraud um, to avoid and so that's why the Canadians arrested them in the first place well and so now you know, you've got you know this, Lewis, better than anybody, having worked in the Obama White House and uh, and and at the DNC. Uh, you've got Democrats united on this front. With I mean, this is this is not a political issue. The concerns, the national security concerns against the state-run telecommunications giant Huawei, are non. It's a nonpartisan issue. I mean, actually, to some extent, Senator Mark Warner the other day told me that he wants. He doesn't even want this to be a negotiating chip at all in the U.S.-China trade talks. But it is, it is really fascinating. How many Americans do you know who, who own Huawei phones? I, I don't think so. So if you go Americans to Europe, know. a lot of people own right, Huawei that's phone, the phones, and they're they actually are very nice phones. You know, without commenting on the on the on the business itself, <laughs> they uh, they're very very popular phones. And we in this country and in Canada, we we two nations have a totally different view of this uh, because of um, because of the issues that you are. And they're a lot like iPhones. Uh, in part, this is part of the issue with the Chinese is the property intellectual property theft. Um, and the other part is the security issue, which is that if Huawei is controlling the telecommunications, they want to eavesdrop and they want to track and they want to potentially embed things. So when a U.S. technology company wants to open up business in China, they're forced to give up part ownership control to the Chinese. And uh, that becomes a problem because of the type of proprietary information and access to private data that they may get access Can to. the United States get a trade deal with China as long as this Huawei stuff is still- um, I think that th- that has to be part of the resolution. I don't think that one will happen without the other. Really? Well, do you think we're anywhere close to getting a resolution on Huawei? Because I don't. I, it doesn't seem like we are. There's, it's 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 so complex, isn't it? And a lot of it has to do with these issues of uh, of uh, theft of intellectual property and um, um, all, all the. But it all also the tools has to deal with of, the future of five G. I mean, it also. I mean, that's really what this competition is is about, no? Yeah, there, there's no privacy in this world, and the whole notion <laughs> that the whole the whole notion that we I'm now have, like it, <laughs> there is you have no privacy. I'm sorry, Kevin. You know, and the whole the whole notion that you have a whole you know the China behind one of these telecom giants is it's frightening to us. It's not. It, it, it's a it's a huge huge issue to the United States. But what's interesting is when you see people talking about the U.S. economy and China and these upcoming trade wars, um, I, was, I, was, I was looking at some, the South China uh, Morning Post. They have China and the U.S. moving backwards. And then, you know, we're just talking about, yeah, they're going to meet next week. <laughs> well, they are meeting next week at the G20, and, and this is one of the problems is that you have so much volatility in the White House right now where uh, even ahead of the USMCA, Mexico passing it and all of these immigration deals, a lot of this stuff was in the works before Trump came up with uh-huh. this tariff war that was really more about uh, riling up his base than actually getting Mexico to do something that it was already in the process of working out with the United States anyway. And you have to worry about uh, what he's going to do on the international stage because every time he goes to one of these international meetings, he's pushing other world leaders off the stage. He's trying to get in front 
front of him. He's uh, being rude. He's creating problems with our allies and standing with dictators and and uh, brutal dictators at that. So uh, it, it's it's going to be troubling to see what he does and uh, the instability that he brings into a moment where we really need him to be doing the right thing uh, to come to a deal with, with China uh, and to stand with our allies on, on a bunch of other issues that matter. All right, coming up, we're going to talk political water cooler talk of the day. There was so much stuff. I mean, like Hope Hicks, the former comms director, she t- behind closed doors again. Then you've got this UFO stuff. I mean, we're going to dive right into it. Head first, head first. That's how we do it here. Panel stays, Luis Miranda, former DNC communications director, Luis Schiavone, my pizza party pal, journalist and senior lecturer at John Hopkins University, Cary Business School, one of my first friends in Washington, D.C. And your you can, forever friend, Kevin. You can download, <laughs> with no privacy, you can download the Sound On podcast on Apple yeah, iTunes man. at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Keith Urban. Keith Urban, my all-time favorite country music artist. There he is. He's right there. First country music city I ever bought. Luis Schiavone, my good friend, pizza party pal, journalist, and senior lecturer at John Hopkins University. Carry business school. Yeah, but that's how I always like. We always have pizza and we talk politics. And now we would always joke about, wouldn't it be funny if we had a radio thing? And funny how it works out. Luis, Luis. See, I did it. I was so good. Luis Miranda. Former DNC communications director. Now he's got his uh, consulting firm. Would you ever run for office one day? Uh, I'm not sure I'm crazy enough to do that just yet, but, uh, okay. but you know. I don't know. I feel I get I get the, the vibe. Do you? <laughs> I think he'd be a strong candidate. I don't know why he won't. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Well, if you if you ever if, if I ever do, it started here. You yeah. Know? It all started it all, here. It all Wait, started right here. Let me get a picture. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So let's stick with foreign policy because there were rising tensions between the U.S. and Iran, and the, the situation we've been following this, covering it day in day out, and giving new urgency to this long unresolved fight over whether President Trump and other presidents have or how, rather, a country goes to war. I'm I'm paraphrasing from the Bloomberg Terminal by my colleague Daniel Flatley uh, because there's been all of this, this, all of this, uh, the latest controversy about Iran downing the U.S. drone that occurred over international waters. The Pentagon is saying Iran downed a U.S. drone over international waters. The president, well, I'll let... Uh, Here's President Trump and what he said earlier about that drone strike uh, today. Here's President. I find it hard to believe it was intentional, if you want to know the truth. I think that it could have been somebody who was uh, loose and stupid that did it. So that's President Trump downplaying, I guess, Lewis, the the severity of what could have been a strike, uh, an intentional strike by the Iranians against the U.S. I'm surprised he didn't blame a 300-pound man in his uh, parents' basement uh, as he did with the Russian hack. Um, it's, but it's, it's troubling because you have to wonder 
Um, one, have they been rattling the cage and have they themselves been pushing towards war? Even our allies have disagreed with some of the intelligence um, assessments that, that this administration has put out, uh, particularly around some of the threats that they had towards the uh, uh, in Iraq when, when they uh, evacuated a lot of our personnel. Uh, so there's, there's a question about the credibility of this administration that's problematic, but certainly this action by the Iranians does up the tensions and puts us one step closer to, to potential conflict, which is uh, concerning considering that uh, this president has um, taken so many steps to make it harder to keep Iran accountable on things like nuclear weapons. Luis, this was the drone that the Iranians shot down, according to, according to the administration. Uh, President Trump, I want to play for you what he said, and I want to get your response. President Trump saying essentially that there would be a difference if it wasn't a drone and if it was a manned, a manned aircraft. Here's the president. We didn't have a man or woman in the drone. We had nobody in the drone. It would have made a big difference, let me tell you. It would have made a big, big difference. So it's all it's always bad to lose to lose one of your people. Right. But, you know, what's interesting to me about this, what what he had to say about somebody lucid, stupid and how he sort of almost gave Iran itself a pass is very reminiscent of the stuff that he says about North Korea. Right. right. He says, yeah, you know what? I I really think, you know, they're not they're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. It's it's very, very interesting because. People think of Trump as a guy who's going to go out there and he's going to be aggressive. And instead, he, he does all of this such radical downplaying that that people are find it shocking. And the congressional fight now is over how not fight, but the, the debate better. The, the congressional debate now is, is how does a nation go to war? Because the debate over the war powers in the Constitution's really ambiguous language makes the commander in chief, the president, of course, to have the authority to use the military, but Congress has the authority, only Congress has the authority to declare war. And it's really troubling that this administration is trying to use the authorization for the use of military force that was put in place. But respect, respectfully, and, and I, and I want to, because I, I don't want to turn this into the, I, I get, I think everyone understands the political dynamics, but you could also make the case, well, the previous administration, the Obama administration used drones, but explain the issue because you're the expert, Lewis. So explain the issue of precisely what the debate is over. Because I think there is not. But isn't yeah. there also a certain number of days that the president has? Well, wait, let's start with the before issue. Before Congress has to weigh in. Well, the issue is just whether or not the authorization for use of military force would allow this administration to take more significant military action against Iran when it was done uh, back in 2003 in response to the 9-11 attacks. Right? Yes. So that, that's really the, the, the key. And uh, the second part of it, again, is the lack of credibility by this administration, which just four days ago, <laughs> Secretary of State Pompeo tried to blame Iran for a suicide bomber attack in eastern Kabul that injured U.S. service members and, and killed uh, four Afghan passersby when the Taliban themselves had already claimed credit for the attack. So uh, the pulling slew of misinformation, trying to use the AUMF for Iran, that that creates a lot of questions. And so Congress is going to have to take its role seriously. And if there is a real threat, they need to step up the and do their job. AUMF. We're going to be hearing a lot about this, maybe even potentially in the 2020 crowded Democratic field. The AUMF, the Authorization for the Use of Military Force. That's really the crux of this issue because Congress passed to endorse military action in Afghanistan days after the 9-11 attacks. Uh, and presidents, virtually every president, uh, since the Bush administration has invoked this to justify interventions uh, abroad ever since. It's that notion of, are we at war if it's not technically declared 
a war. It's a it's a modern question, I guess, in, in 2019. Coming up, panel stays. Luis Schiavone, journalist, senior lecturer at Hopkins Carey Business School. Luis Miranda, former DNC comms director. Maybe he'll run for Congress one day. <laughs> you can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg. I'm one. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I mean, there was so much news today outside of the policy news that we've got to get through it. I mean, Hope Hicks, according to Jerry Nadler, Hope Hicks, the former White House communications director, said she believed President Trump was, quote unquote, serious when he said he would accept information from a political rival from a foreign source. That's according to the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler. Uh, so Hope Hicks testified behind closed doors. That's got my That's chin. so third source, Kevin. I want to introduce really. you, Luis Schiavone, journalist and senior lecturer at John Hopkins University Cary Business School. Luis Miranda, former DNC comms director. You say that it's that it's it's third source. I mean, we, we haven't heard. I mean, it's got you a know, point. I mean, Jerry Nadler, he's not a big Trump fan, and Hope Hicks testified, you know, privately. Uh, privately. And, um, you know, we don't know what she said. And are you going to take Jerry Nadler's word for it? I mean... You know, if if the parties were reversed, would you take a Republican's word for it if it were, were Obama? I mean, I I just think That's I would fair. like to hear Hope Hicks say it. And, and yet it seems that from what's come out that she also did her best to not walk in to uh, invoke the uh, White House's memo trying to use uh, executive privilege to not talk candidly about uh, the, the things that the committee wanted to know about. Well, there's also there's reports that she wasn't taking President Trump's calls. All right, so that's that's between. That's interesting. Is, I just it's, it's hard. I mean, so I think that the, really we didn't learn anything new, right? Uh, and, and that's the bottom line. And that's why I'm not spending too much time on this. There, there was really nothing new that we know yet of, of what Hope Hicks, the former White House communications director, testified behind closed doors before the House Judiciary Committee. We don't know what she said. We don't. We weren't there. Uh, we have, as Luis said, we have secondhand accounts. And, um, and ultimately, I think one of the problems for Democrats is that a lot of these investigations are not going to yield something that is significant enough. And this is why their decision, Nancy's decision to disregard the 484 pages of Robert Mueller's memo that lay out a clear case for obstruction of justice is a mistake. So that's, you know, I, I think that's interesting. I think to, to, to your point, why Democrats are, con- I mean, yes, they're, they say they're continuing to investigate because they want to, you know, do what they have to do. But but you're saying as a Democrat, former DNC comms director, why not, you know, look at the at the Mueller report? And then you've got the fight within the Democratic Party. And I know it, it would be there's so much to get there, but you were telling me about this. This is on your radar. AOC versus Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. So AOC, the freshman congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, is saying incorrectly that the uh, calling the detention centers for children migrants. Concentration camps. Calling them concentration camps. Well, here's AOC. I want to play for you what, uh, what AOC had to say. There is a very clear academic consensus on what constitutes a concentration camp, and that is the mass detention of a community of people without a trial or due process. I think it's pretty universally uh, and non-controversial to say that the administration is doing exactly that and meets the academic requirement for what a concentration camp is. That's so she's saying she's defending herself. And here's Speaker Pelosi. Here's Pelosi. I do have some uh, comments to make to my caucus 
writ large about the political nature of uh, how politically charged the atmosphere is. So understand uh, that while the Republicans have no interest in holding the president accountable for his words, they will misrepresent anything that you say just if you have one word in the sentence that they can exploit. And on this one, I got to agree with Nancy Pelosi. I think that Democrats have to be careful here. There's a, a lot of people who are near and dear to me who uh, are the descendants of Holocaust survivors. And, and it is a, a word that can be easily uh, charged and, and misrepresented. And, and we have to be sensitive about that. Uh, but the broader point that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez makes is important to note and to highlight that there are a lot of children dying in immigration uh, department oh, custody. I see, I got to be, and, I, look, and, I'm a journalist. And we have to, we have to deal with children. that. Wait, wait, wait. No wait. children have died over the past 10 years, and now we've had, I think, seven in the past few wait, weeks. Wait, wait, AOC is wrong. She is categorically wrong to call them concentration camps. And I just said that with you. Right. I completely so, said so I, that. But, so, but the so, underlying issue of so children So she should make her point a different important. way. I agree with that. You agree with that. Do you agree with that? Yeah, they're not concentration camps. I mean, we all know they're not concentration camps. Okay, I just, they, they have deplorable conditions. There are yes. children dying. Um, they, they need to be uh, treated differently, but uh, they are not concentration camps. No, there's not mass murder or genocide happening. I can't happening even believe – and, and, and it's insensitive. Here, I, I think I, you know, the, the, the chatter that no one wants to say on air is, okay, well, now the Democrats are dealing with what the Republican Party had to deal with, with the Tea Party and, and whatnot. But, you know I, – I, at what point does Speaker Pelosi kind of be a little bit more aggressive about this rhetoric from Ilan Omar and AOC? I, 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 I just feel like people really – do these people study history? I, I mean what, history, I yeah. history is something that people really need to know and understand. Um, as, we, as we all agree, people who were – and we all know people whose families – were rounded up and sent to concentration camps and were gassed and, tr- and treated brutally and millions and millions of people died. I can't died. believe we even have we're to not, have this conversation. And, and it's but, a dumb thing the, to do because we're talking about all of that instead of about the fact that there are children dying in, in custody and that we need to fix it. It so grossly, grossly, inappropriately trivializes the real tragedy of the Holocaust. To, to, Didn't to she go used down to work for road. Senator Kennedy? Didn't she used to work for Senator did, Kennedy? Did she work for AOC? AOC? Yeah. Didn't she, didn't she volunteer that for I Senator Kennedy? I don't know that. Well, All right. Let's switch gears. Did you follow this? Because this is the one thing. I want to end on it. I mean, uh, I, uh, I uh, am obsessed with this story that they had this, this closed-door briefing on UFOs, the Intelligence Committee. Mark Warner actually gave comment about it. Here's Mark Warner on this UFO briefing. What concern should we be about the briefing that you received on UFOs? Is that a concern that for pilots? Is there anything you can mention to us about that? Well, I think some of the press reports are accurate. I think people are are taking this issue much more seriously. And, um, you know, I'm not going to get into any of the contents of the briefing. It was a classified briefing. Um, but what I I think the one of the key takeaways I'd have is that the um, the military and others are taking this issue seriously, which I think in previous generations may not have been the case. Okay, wow. I don't mean to laugh, but like previous generations weren't taking <laughs> UFO threats well, seriously. Love that stuff. Come on. Okay, we've got like 30 seconds. Yeah, but, but look, an quick, unidentified quick, quick. flying object is an object that you cannot identify. That doesn't mean that there are little aliens inside that. Oh, I no, mean, the Navy had already been public about over a year ago about pilots reporting very quick, very rapid, very interesting movements that a uh, human-made craft could not make. 
I want to know. I, I want to know. know. The truth the is people, out there. The, uh, right? So tell Get us. Them on Thank the show. you. Get the truth them on is the out show. there and it's here. <laughs> it's here on Sound On. I'm Kevin Surly. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.